it's time for another episode of Game Warden Connection. Your resource for the outdoors. I hope you're ready. Because here's your host, Carlos Gomez and Joe Alexander. So welcome to episode one of the Game Warden Connection. That's right. Game Warden Connection episode I'm Carlos Gomez, and I'm sitting across from... From Joe Alexander, also Game Warden. And and I will say that uh, between us, we've got uh, over 60 years of law enforcement experience and, and, and many decades of Game Warden experience, and in that time... We get to visit and make friends with a lot of game wardens around the country. And uh, today's episode, uh, we're going to call it Colorado Discussions because uh, this episode begins with uh, some questions originating from a gentleman named Jim. Yeah, Jim Jim from Oklahoma. Jim is from Oklahoma. So we started with Jim from Oklahoma, and Jim did have some really good questions, and uh, they were directed to game warden Natalie Reniker, from Colorado, and uh, I hope you enjoy the discussion that we do here with Natalie and uh, review many of Jim's questions regarding everything from elk, bear, uh, yeah, even even a little discussion that at some point we'll, we'll get into talking about uh, possibly wolves. Yeah, he had a lot of good questions, he, and, and they were all over the place. They, they weren't just in one. We talked about <laughs> grouse. We talked about gun hunting. We talked about archery hunting. Yeah. We talked about electronic technologies and, and different things that, uh, that Colorado has, some of their rules and why and whatever. And, and uh, so we did help Jim out, I think, with some of those, those discussions. Yeah, and I learned a lot. I learned a lot, uh, several things that I'd, I had no idea about Colorado. Yeah. And, and I've been and to Colorado many times. Hunted a lot of stuff, yeah, and uh, I was very surprised. Even though you know I've hung out with some of these guys, uh, shot with them in competitions, eat a bowl of beans with them many <laughs> times, and I learned things about uh, what they're doing and how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, that uh, I had no idea. Yeah, so. yeah, it was it was a good conversation. So let's get into it. We're here with Jim from Oklahoma, and Jim, you had mentioned something about a map, an interactive map or something to help uh, locate uh, elk and movements and whatnot. Could you explain that? Well, I, I, I believe I've seen this on their their website. But basically, it's sort of like the big game maps where they, where they kind of tell you seasonally areas that you're going to find elk, let's say. Um, and I, I just... Uh, I've only just skimmed across it once or twice, um, but have been am- unable to locate it exactly. Um, again, it's been several years. Uh, just kind of looking, if a guy is coming from out of state and you're not familiar, but you're just trying to kind of get an idea of, let's say, let's say Unit 81, for instance, 
you know, if it's an over-the-counter second, third rifle season tag, uh, it's a it's got some pretty high elevation in it. Uh, I just kind of am curious to see if I if I'm wasting my time to go to a certain spot in this unit that I'm thinking of, or uh, you know, if there's a resource out there that's gonna kind of steer me clear of you know hunting 11,000 foot peaks and third rifle is gonna help me kind of understand. Okay, the elk are further down in the valley, and they're typically kind of in the in this part of the unit. Well, Jim, we can certainly ask about that. Jim, you had mentioned something about uh, bear hunting as well. Uh, is bear hunting your main objective? You're wanting to bear hunt. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's, with the with the uh, lower pricing on bear tags, let's say, in Colorado, that's certainly more appealing for a guy like myself to go ahead and grab a bear tag if it's available for a unit I'm going to hunt. But I just don't know that much about bear behavior, you know, um, tendencies and all that kind of stuff to be able to, you know, feel like that, yeah, I'm going to grab this bear tag and I'm, uh, you know, going to be able to effectively hunt them, uh, you know, without some sort of a resource like that. So, uh, you know, it's just kind of along the same lines. Mm-hmm. Bear density in the a- bear density in the area where you're going to be hunting other game. Exactly. Uh huh. Okay. Uh, okay. And then you ask, how are the bear numbers around the state? So, are mm-hmm. you shopping for? Is that question suggesting that a that a sportsman is shopping for a destination to find bear, or are you particularly interested in bear density where you're going to be hunting elk, something like that? Uh, both. Yeah, both. I, you know, I, I enjoyed uh, the one time that I went bear hunting in Canada. Uh, it was a lot of fun, and and I want to do it again. You know, here in Colorado, and uh, so just kind of curious just to see what parts of the state you know that that i might look in just to sort of give me an idea of you know if i could pair that with a, a you know mm-hmm. decent elk mm-hmm. density uh then it you know would be a place i would definitely look at hunting that's a good point jim do areas that have a lot of hikers typically hold very many animals and i guess you're talking about all three the the deer bear and elk Yes, uh, and this is kind of more specific in trying to, you know, you and I had talked about a unit in the central part of the state that I'd gone and checked out the other day, and the the guy that I was with just swore up and down. He'd shot a lot of elk out of that area and deer. Mm -hmm. And it was like everywhere that you looked, whether it was above the tree line or, you know, on every trail, there was people hiking. And, And so you know, before I spend money and make a trip out there to that area just because it's convenience right off the highway, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I want to know for sure if this guy's blowing smoke or if they, if animals really do get that accustomed to, you know, seeing people around a lot. So when you were there with this guy scouting around central Colorado, you were seeing lots of signs of nature lovers that are out enjoying Colorado's countryside. Exactly. and. And uh, yeah. did you guys see a lot of elk at the time hanging out in those areas or just signs? Uh, we, we, we didn't see anything. We, we did see some sign, you know, a few tracks and things like that. I did find one, one wallow right down on the highway that 
you know, I didn't get a chance to get up and look at it close, but mm-hmm. it looked like it was, you know, it didn't have a bunch of sign around a lot of tracks. So, so, so we're trying to confirm that uh, your buddy's claim is that there's a lot of areas that could be hunted, but maybe a lot of us pass it over because we think there's too many hikers and nature lovers there. So why bother? Yeah. There won't be any game there. Um, exactly. And, and the possibility exists that those are hideouts maybe for some game that uh, are accustomed to peoples. Uh, yes. And so forth. Exactly. Okay. Well, I, I think that's a, a, a smart question because there's certainly a lot of countryside that's getting used up. I, I should mm-hmm. say hunting area that seems to be getting used up by uh, nature lovers. And that's not mm-hmm. to say we can't use it too, but uh, we're not going to use it if we don't believe there's an animal there, right? So, Right. Okay. Um, let me see here. Next question would be... Uh, <clears throat> If you have a rifle tag for bear and a bow, uh, a rifle tag for bear, and you're bow hunting, can you shoot the bear with your archery equipment? That's a pretty straightforward question there, I think. So Yeah, because the, the seasons overlap. Yeah. Archery elk. So the archery is open. The gun is open. You have a gun tag. Can you shoot it with, uh, with archery? So... You know, in Oklahoma, yeah. th- you can do that. In Oklahoma, mm-hmm. the lesser weapon is permitted uh, with the uh, greater technology uh, tag. So mm-hmm. we'll see if Colorado does that as well. Um, mm-hmm. Let me see. And what about your CCW? So on your concealed carry, I'd be interested to see what Colorado has to say, but in Oklahoma, your CCW, uh, Joe, correct me if anything's changed, but you've got to be in fear of your life and defending your life, and that's what the CCW is for, not for using it as a hunting weapon. So were you asking, is it okay to carry it, or are you asking, is it okay to use it to shoot something with? Well, if you have a gun tag, a rifle tag for a bear, mm-hmm. and you're, you know, you got your forty five on you or whatever you're packing out there for self-defense, and you come up on a bear, is it okay to go ahead and shoot the bear with your pistol? It, it provided it's the legal caliber, you know, and all that stuff to for Colorado to be able to, you know, big game hunt. Uh, is that uh, permitted? Yeah, I, go I ahead think. And just, yeah, yeah I, I think that would fall under the whether or not it was a legal caliber. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if your CCW is a legal weapon to hunt with. Then you're hunting mm-hmm. with it, yeah. And it's your mm-hmm. CCW if you're not hunting with it, but mm-hmm. uh, but if it were not a legal, say it's a nine millimeter, and Colorado says that's too small to use on bears, uh, mm-hmm. then I would think the only way you're going to stay out of jail is to have some uh, toenail and chewing marks on on your on your boots. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I've had be. it described to me that way, you know, you, you, you better show some claw marks on your, you tatter up your britches and uh, have some chew marks on your boots and then, then it's okay. But otherwise uh, it, it needs to be a legal caliber. So, mm-hmm. but we'll run that by them. And what is considered a good size bear for Colorado? Um, and we're talking black bears, of course. So yes, you're just kind of wanting body weights and that sort of thing. Yeah. 
Yeah, just weight range and, mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. Okay. In the fall, where will you typically find them? And again, we're going back to areas of bear. So <clears throat> in the fall, uh, I would think it's around all those campsites that you're talking about where all those hikers are and stuff. <laughs> yeah, probably so. <laughs> Bacon grease and eggs and tree, everything. Tree else. stands near the dumpsters and things like that. <laughs> but yeah. um, how are the grouse numbers around the state this year? I like that question because I love to eat grouse. And when I'm mm-hmm. bow hunting, sometimes I can get pretty distracted chasing judo points mm-hmm. on my on the grouse and forget about what I was hunting. Jim, can you think of any other questions? Uh, I'd, I'd say another question I had was uh, I was thinking of putting a GoPro uh, on my bow to be able to record my shot just for my own personal use. Mm-hmm. And I believe Colorado has a limitation on not having electronics on your bow. I think that's aimed more at like the Garmin Zero site. Mm-hmm. But okay. I just was hoping to get some clarification on that that's a great question yes it is a good question i know that uh, colorado can be sticklers when it comes to electronics on their archery equipment and whatnot so yeah that's a good question i tell you jim it's it's been good talking to you and pleasure meeting you jim thanks so you much too, for Joe. your for your participation and and uh yeah. and good questions and uh again we're we're kicking this off you know we want to be able to help sportsmen all over and any question anywhere uh, if you uh, you you fly around so if you end up in another state and uh, have questions for somewhere else or hear another uh you know pilot or anybody else that has a question about anything outdoors that wants to ask them uh promote the podcast and we'll we'll try and get some of this stuff shared yeah that sounds great i'm happy to help it's an awesome deal so thank you jim Yes, sir. All right, you talk, to you, talk to you later. Thank you, you too. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye. More about Natalie than Natalie, so let's ask her. So, <laughs> All right. Tell us, tell us about your, your career, uh, how many years, where you started, and, and where you're assigned and all that. Okay. Um, so I started working for Colorado Parks and Wildlife in 2014 as a uh, seasonal employee. Um, and then in 2016, I was hired on as a wildlife officer for the state. Um, so I went through my one-year training uh, for that. My first assignment was in Springfield, Colorado, which is in the southeast corner of the state. And I was there for two years. Um, and then I transferred uh, over to Montrose, Colorado on the west slope in 2019. And I have been here ever since. And when you were in the southeast part of the state, that's when we would have met you during the five-state competitions and so forth. Yeah, so I was there my first year in Springfield was when Colorado hosted um, the five states. Uh, so uh, everyone came and stayed at the two Buttes State Wildlife Area. Two Buttes, I remember that. Hi, Natalie, this is Joe. Hi, Joe, how are you? Doing great, doing great. I remember two Buttes, so... Yeah. Yeah, we had a heck of a storm that year, I believe. I think there was a pretty decent one. Yeah, yeah. we actually got weather there, yeah, which is absolutely. shocking. So. Well, Joe, Joe and I were just uh, reacquainting ourselves with um, 
having met you and uh, my conversations with you and, and uh, appreciate you helping us on the podcast and answering some of these questions. And uh, I was just telling Joe, he asked me about you, like I knew something about you or something. And I said, well, all I can tell you is I think she's a real deal. Um, <laughs> and uh, I remember you as being a, a, a good competitor in, in the five state. And I know that uh, uh, a lot of folks don't know what the five state game warden association is, but it's a, it's a fraternity of game wardens from that five state region there, Colorado, New Mexico, Texas, Oklahoma, and Kansas. It moves around and goes to different states and each state takes a turn hosting the, the, the conference meeting competitions and, and, uh, fraternity activities. And, and it was in Colorado that year. So, we always enjoy it. Yeah, that's well, a great networking experience for sure. Absolutely, yeah. So, Natalie, we talked a little bit about these questions, and we were just on the phone with uh, Jim from Oklahoma, who was the gentleman that asked all those questions, and um, he he fired off a few other little questions. Like I said, I'm not going to try to hit you with curveballs, anything that you feel comfortable telling us about. Um, yeah, no, I'll, I'll definitely answer what I can. Um, some of the questions were fairly general or um, it, the, the, quiet, or the answer is going to be it depends, um, which is not a cop-out, but it just really does depend on, on where we're talking about in the state. But, um, mm-hmm. yeah, definitely with some of the questions, and, and I will answer them to the best of my ability. Sure. Well, that first one has to do with the guides and outfitters, and uh, I'm not going to let you get out without bringing something up that uh, that I brought up in my conversation with the hunter uh, about about uh, licensed uh, game retrieval people. Um, that's been that's been a bit of an issue to me, and and I know of other people that struggle with that. So uh, Jim was asking about the. Um, uh, the the source of information to find a good outfitter or determine if you think maybe your outfitter has had any complaints or feels like that uh, there's people that aren't aren't happy with his services. So I want to say, didn't you tell me the uh, Colorado Outfitters Association? Am I saying that right? Yeah, so Colorado Outfitters Association um, is a great resource for hunters um, to find outfitters in the state. Um, so they do have a website. It's coloradooutfitters.org. And on that website, hunters can search for outfitters by name, the region they want to hunt, um, the species they're wanting to hunt, or by what services they provide. So, you know, are they providing full lodge services or do they provide pack out services uh, with horses, that sort of thing. And it'll generate a list, and from that list you can look, and, and most of those outfitters, all of those outfitters are going to list what game management units they operate out of. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that's just a good starting point for finding an outfitter. Um, and then if you're wanting to look into um, whether or not they've had complaints placed against them in the past, you can go on to the Colorado Office of Outfitter Registration website, um, that is managed through DORA, which is Department of Regulatory Agencies. Um, and so DORA is the agency that all legal outfitters in Colorado must be registered through. 
um, and they will track and investigate complaints made against outfitters throughout the state. Um, all, all complaints are made available on their website. So you, um, you can just search by the outfitter's name um, and can find out if they've had any complaints placed against them. Most outfitters in Colorado, if they have a website um, and are legit, are going to have their outfitter license number listed somewhere on that website, which makes it really easy to find them on Dora. Mm -hmm. So, and, the, so, um, so the door is kind of a BBB, Better Business Bureau of, of the uh, out, outfitters in your area. That's some good information. It is, yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, I played around with it a little bit last night, and the easiest way to look up outfitters is if you can find their license number. Um, you just type that in, it'll pull them up, and it'll tell you, essentially, are they in good standing, or here's a list of complaints of actions taken against this outfitter mm -hmm. and it'll also show you if their outfitting license is active and current um just just to make sure that you're covering your bases as the hunter you know that's not only just great information but it it, it begs the question for me in all of the other states where we're going to have outfitters and we're going to have a lot of big game hunting operations and people are looking for places to go and people to help them is there a DORA in other states, and is there, you know, mm -hmm. these organizations, and how good do they police their own ranks? And, you know, this is this is ways for our sportsmen to be able to benefit from not only the agency in, in your knowledge, but to find and, and, and be supportive to the best outfitters. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I love the fact that we have this regulatory agency in Colorado, Um you know, because I'm not sure how every other state works, but, I mean, in Colorado, they require that any outfitter is licensed, bonded, and insured. Um, so there's there's kind of that responsibility is put on the outfitter um, so that our hunters aren't, aren't getting a bad deal uh, when they come out here. Because we realize that our out-of-state guys, especially, um, they, they spend a lot of money to come out and, and hunt here in Colorado, and mm -hmm. we, we recognize and appreciate that. Well, and, and I'll just tell you from a blue-collar guy's budget, you know, if uh, Bill Jordan from uh, Mossy Oak or whatever is going to go use an outfitter, we all know he's going to have the top-of-the-line guy and they're going to give him the best uh, treatment and, and, and find him a 400-inch bull. But if it's Carlos out there with his uh, cut-rate tips and, and – uh, you know, lacking resources, just trying to get by and, and, and find somebody to help him uh, get just a uh, barely a Pope and Young bull or something like that, you know, I'm going to find myself in dangerous water dealing with some outfitter that maybe is, uh, you know, cutting corners here and there. Yeah, for sure. Um, and, and, yeah, I mean, and that's why Dora is really awesome. You know, I, I get phone calls a lot where um, – hunters are, are asking, you know, can you make recommendations for outfitters and things like that? And and I usually just try to tell them all the outfitters that are available or just direct them to the Colorado Outfitters Association. Because, um, you know, I don't want to be ruffling any feathers with my yeah, outfitters, yeah. making them plain favorites on recommendations sure. and things like that. Sure, sure. Um, kind of Kind of my two cents for hunters is, you know, we're not trying to be difficult. We're just trying to be fair to everyone that's running a business out there. Sure. Makes right. makes sense for sure. 
Okay. Um, well, the next question that I think Jim had that we wanted to throw at you was uh, he was asking for a Colorado Parks and Wildlife resource, and I guess he's, you know, the obvious thing to me, and you've seen this question, um, would be to talk to the specific officer or biologist in that unit. Do you guys have those biologists? I know you got the game wardens listed, but do you have the biologists listed for different units so that a sportsman can find a particular uh, uh, agent or, or you know, biologist or technician or somebody that, you know, is boots on the ground around a particular unit where I'm going to go chase elk or bear or what have you, and I want to know, you know, my, what the most recent conditions are and numbers and observations. So there, there is a way. We, of course, don't make it very easy, but there is a way to figure that out, yes. Um, one thing that we have that I, um, if I have guys that, you know, they can't spend a lot of time and money coming out to the state to do a lot of really hardcore scouting, um, so they're kind of relying on online scouting. And we have a mapping program. It's the Colorado Hunting Atlas. Um, this is an interactive program. So it's a map that's got a bunch of different layers that hunters can use, um, such as topographic map overlays, motor vehicle use maps. Um, it even will show where current wildfire incidents are, um, shows public and private land designations, that sort of thing. Um, and if you click on a specific area that you're interested in, it'll show you uh, what area office manages that, that area office's phone number, um, and it also includes that area's biologist, uh, their name, so that you know who you need to talk to in an area that you're interested in. Um, and on this mapping program, there's also a uh, game species map layer. So hunters can choose the species that they plan on hunting. So for example, they could select elk, and it will show the habitat usage of that specific species in a given area. So it's going to show you uh, summer range, winter range, migration corridors, um, and summer and winter concentration areas. Um, and that information is from field staff. So essentially about every five years, we sit down with our um, mapping staff and we update that information mm -hmm. on those layers. Um, so it's a really good jumping off point um, if you if you don't have the time or the money to fly out every or a couple times a year to Colorado to do some pretty serious scouting. So that's the best resource. That um, sounds that sounds awesome. Now you said every five years. What's the most recent update that you guys have done on that? You think? Oh, uh, 2019. Okay, so it's a couple yeah, years old. Yeah, we did that. Yeah, I was brand new in Montrose when we did that, so I, I relied a lot on the previous officer um, mm -hmm. to, to kind of help and, and tweak that. Um, but, yeah, the, the GIS crew um, that does all that mapping, they come to each area office and we'll spend essentially the whole day, um, and we go through each species layer um, one by one and, and update that usage, uh, that habitat usage that they have. But so it's kind of a, sounds like an evolution of your traditional data uh, meshed in with the most recent observations that, that your guys have come up with. Yeah, and I mean, you know, it's, it's 
you know, us wildlife officers, we we take, you know, what are we seeing on the ground um, whenever we're out and about, and then we combine that with, you know, our biologist that comes in on that, and, and she does, you know, the classification slice, and, um, you know, if we have a collar study going on, she uses that collar data, so it's quite a few of us that kind of sit together and um, custom discuss and, and really update those maps, but it gives people a general indication of where they need to be looking, um, depending on what season they're hunting. That's a, that's a, a, a sincerely, that sounds like a great source solution. And that's at you guys' website? Yeah. I mean, honestly, the, the way I tell people to find it is hop on Google and just Google Colorado Hunting Atlas. Hunting um, Atlas. And you'll be able to pull that up. Okay. And um, it's a great, like I said, it's a great little mapping program. Um, hunters even uh, have the option. They can actually make their own map on that website. So if they're looking at a specific area and they want to print that map out, um, they can do that using that program as well. Cool. It'll, it'll just create like a PDF of the map that they make. Okay. Excellent. Well, okay. Now, Jim's next question was the bear numbers around the state. He was telling us that um, uh, there was a price, special price drop or something in bear permits. And, uh, of course, that always implies that maybe there's a, an abundance of bears this year from previous years. But uh, he was contemplating adding a bear tag to his his portfolio there as he comes to to your woods to hunt elk and um, mm-hmm. I guess he's looking for areas that maybe have more bears than others so uh, he's he's wanting to know what uh, what the knowledge is on bear numbers yeah so bear numbers across the straight or across the state can vary depending on the area um, overall though I would say our black bear population in Colorado is doing very well um, especially in my district I manage the Uncompahgre Plateau um, in Game Management Unit 62 uh, we have very very healthy black bear numbers up there mm-hmm. um, so yeah we, we've recently dropped our bear tag prices um, and made them more readily available to folks um, because I think the uh, trying to find that balance between what the habitat can support versus what people are willing to tolerate when it comes to bears. Um, we have quite a growing population, and so just trying to reduce the conflicts that we have with, with black bears and people. Um, so overall, throughout the state, yeah, our, our bears are doing really well. Um, so and, and we like to have that increased opportunity. So um, if folks are coming from out of state, bear tags for non-residents are, are 100 bucks. So. Mm-hmm. Now, do they have to have that tag in hand before – um, uh, a certain date, uh, like the opening day of season or something like that, or, or just make sure they have it in pocket before they shoot their bear? Definitely make sure you have it in your pocket before you shoot it. That That's always <laughs> ideal because um, <laughs> otherwise you'll have a really awkward conversation with one of us. Most of the times, if you're wanting to buy a bear tag after the season starts, you can do so. Um, you're usually just restricted to having to come into one of our offices. Um, so you wouldn't be able to go to Walmart to buy mm, a tag or okay. that sort of thing. You would, you would need to come into us to get that bear tag. But before season, they could buy it at Walmart? Before season, you could, Okay. Yeah. Okay, great, great. 
Okay, I get you there. Um, okay, and then he asked something about the availability of of using some of those areas, you know, where you're going to be hunting that might be shared with hikers and, you know, the campers and the tree huggers and all the different folks that are doing things in the outdoors that are not hunters. Um, you know, his information that they're acting on is – uh, there's a lot of huntable property that is overlooked by a lot of sportsmen. Everybody thinks they got to go 10 miles, take your mule pack, and head to the backcountry, you know, and get far away from anybody and anything. And, of course, that's the most pristine experience. But uh, his information is you're passing over a lot of elk that are sharing that habitat with nature lovers that are not hunters. And, uh, so he wanted to know, is that a myth? And he wanted to know, you know, how, how much kind of um, opportunity or success might be uh, anticipated in some of those shared areas with those outdoor I, enthusiasts. I think he was looking to see if, if how much effect does that have, hikers and day users and things like that, on, you know, his ability to go in there and, and hunt those areas. Does sure. that push push well, the animals out? And, and yeah, and yeah. Does it affect the animals that you know? Are the animals used to people, or you know, that's kind of what he was getting at, perhaps. Yeah. So um, there's been a lot of research done lately, or it's becoming a more popular research topic, I should say, um, looking at the effect that recreationalists, different types of recre- recreationalists, have on wildlife. Um, and I think overall, some folks are kind of surprised to see that um, our non-consumptive recreationalists, so folks that aren't taking anything off the landscape, our hikers, mountain bikers, rock climbers, um, are having more of an impact on wildlife than than they think they do. Um, We actually were sent from one of our uh, trails committee guys, we were sent an article that was published in April of this year. Um, It looked at gosh, almost 40 years worth of research on the effects of recreation on wildlife. And they found that um, 16% of the studies showed that um, there was a quantitative effect on wildlife. So in, to, to simplify it, um, 16% of the studies showed that wildlife um, will have a tolerance for human presence up to a certain point before they started to show some type of displacement behavior. Um, and they specifically pointed out that with large mammals, um, if people got a thousand yards within a thousand yards of them, they would start to have a change in their behavior. Um, so there, there's that study and some studies from early 2000s that are showing that um, deer and elk do not become habituated to trail use. Uh, so they, they tend to move into less productive habitat, um, and, and they, they just tend to be pretty flighty around people. I do think there are certain instances where this will not apply. Um, so, for example, the elk herds that we have around Estes Park, where Rocky Mountain National Park is, they do not care about people. I mean, they really don't. Um, they, they live in town for majority of the year. But there's um, not any hunting is, around Estes, though, right? Do what? There's no hunting there around Estes, though. They're not getting hunted. They're not getting hunted. And, and that's where that 
that kind of limited instance of where it doesn't apply. Another example would be in our cities and towns, um, we're starting to have residents with deer herds. So they, they don't leave, they don't migrate, um, they live in your backyard and eat your petunias, and the worst thing they have to worry about is getting getting smacked by a car in town. Um, but I think as it applies to herds on public lands, they, they do have a negative response to recreation, whether that's motorized or non-motorized recreation. Um, so there's a lot of studies going on right now. Um, so I, I don't know how best to answer that other than to say that, yes, hiking and, and um, jeep riding and everything like that um, does affect animals and, and can cause them to displace into other areas. Um, so that, that can be tricky in areas where we have a lot of trails, um, such as the Uncompahgre Plateau, um, the district that I manage. Mm-hmm. It was a very long-winded answer. Um, well, but it's 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 pretty it's pretty tricky to anticipate sharing an area with hikers and bike riders, and I'm seeing a lot of elk sign, and I'm wondering, are the elk moving around these people? Are these people coming in when the when the animals are not there? The animals are there maybe only at night. You know, all the different variables that are going to affect the clues. And, and if there's great habitat that looks like it ought to be covered in elk and I'm looking for a place to elk hunt and the regulation says I can hunt here, but I'm seeing all kinds of picnic sign and, and, and people sign and parking lots and cars and, and all the different things everybody else's non-consumers are do, leaving, you know, clues that they're leaving, it, 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 it sure, sure puzzles a guy on, on whether he ought to try to hunt there or not. Yeah, and I will say in terms of, like, hikers or mountain bikers, I mean, a lot of those guys tend to stick to established trails. Um, And so, you know, that's one thing that I do try to point out to my hunters is, yeah, they're probably going to hike on the trails during the fall time um, whenever, you know, everyone is out and about hunting trying to see a tag. They they do, trust me. I've seen them. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So it's one of those deals where it's like, you know, Maybe it would be in your best interest to try and avoid those hiking trails or just get a little ways away from them. Um, you know, like I said, in the with big game, um, you know, if if you get within a thousand meters of them, they're going to show some type of behavior change. Um, so if, if you're trying to really get away from people, then maybe you do need to be looking at a wilderness hunt or something like that. Mm-hmm. We're looking for areas that don't have a ton of trail development gotcha okay well let me see here let's move on to this next topic um let me see we were talking about the human scent and all that with the backpackers he's asking that you know if you had a rifle tag for bear that's overlap time between bow season and archery season and Mm -hmm. i'm i'm bow bow season and gun season bow season what did i say a bow and archery. Bow and archery. <laughs> I'm kind of an <laughs> archery guy, I guess. Um, okay, so it's it's gun and bow season both. He's got a tag for rifle, but he's he's elk hunting for for uh, with bow, and he sees a bear, and it's bear season, but it's a rifle tag for bear. Can he shoot that bear with his bow? 
Yes. Um, so you can harvest a bear with your archery equipment if you have a rifle bear tag. Um, so if, if folks really wanted to dig into it, um, on our big game brochure, I think it's page 14, um, there's a really handy graph that we have that shows what method of take may be used for the season that is listed on your license. Um, so, for example, for that September rifle bear season tag that runs from September 2nd through the 30th, um, legal methods of take for that rifle tag are rifle, shotgun, handgun, muzzleloader, handheld bow, um, or even a crossbow for that rifle tag. Okay. So um, it, it'll, it'll designate what you can use based on what tag you have. So that kind of leads into his next question about concealed carry weapons. Um, if that concealed carry weapon met the firearms requirement uh, for legally harvesting a bear, then he could use that weapon. But otherwise, what do you say? Yeah. Um, so, yes, in terms of using a concealed carry weapon like a pistol, um, it, it can be legal as long as you meet the other stipulations that we have in place that designates what makes a pistol a legal method to take for big game. So uh, for handguns to harvest big game with, it must have a barrel that's a minimum of four inches, um, a minimum caliber of 24 caliber expanding bullet, uh, cannot have shoulder stocks or attachments, and um, you have to look and see that the cartridge that you're using produces um, minimum energy of 550 foot-pounds at 50 yards. And mm -hmm. if you're trying to figure out how the heck would I know that, um, look at the box um, of ammo that you purchased. Um, it, the original box will have that information available mm -hmm. for you. If you're using reloads, um, you're probably not going to be able to figure that out for your handgun. Mm -hmm. So you would, you would just have to go and find some factory-made ammo um, that would meet that rating. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, you know, in the conversation with Jim about this very issue, uh, then the next question to me is the guy that's always claiming self-defense because the bear was about to eat me. Um, I Maybe I had a bear tag for gun, and maybe this is my CCW, and maybe the weapon is not meeting those characteristics, but I killed this bear um, in self-defense, and I want to tag that bear, um, obviously there's an investigation that needs to ensue on something like that. If you guys know about it, obviously if he's able to get his bear out and just claim that he killed it with a gun and so forth and nobody knows, and I, I suppose those things happen, but um, as stories float out on the Internet or what have you and you go looking into a guy that's killed a bear with his CCW, uh, what are you looking for in this uh, self-defense evidence? I mean, do I need to, like, take my pocket knife and scratch my boots up so that it looks like the bear <laughs> has uh, chewed my feet? Well, yeah, I mean, that that's one of those deals where the officer's going to definitely have to, to conduct some form of investigation. I mean, for me, red flags get raised if they don't mention self-defense until well after the hunt has, has occurred. Um so, you know, if they harvest a bear and they, you know, say, oh, use, use my pistol and, you know, um, have their story set when they check the bear, 
Um, and then we start getting on the old Facebook grapevine and, and start figuring things out through there. Um, yeah, we're definitely going to have some questions and some concerns about why they didn't mention self-defense or mm-hmm. anything like that. Um, and, and that's what, what we're going to be asking. We're going to be asking, you know, what made you feel threatened? Um, you know, was it, did it charge? Did it touch you? Things like that. So that's where, yeah, it, it gets tricky and it requires a bit of investigation. Um, you know, if someone does kill bear that they felt threatened by. Um, Do you ever have much of that? Do you ever have many of those kind of calls come in, in in Colorado where someone had to shoot a bear and, and it was, you know, close range and, and uh, handgun no, or whatever? Not as much as people think. Um, I always tell them um, the only bear species we have in Colorado are black bears. Um, and black bears are a bunch of chickens, in my opinion. Um, they they are not really big on confrontation with people or things like that. Um, you might get a, a sow with cubs that'll bluff charge you or, or kind of pop her jaw at you and let you know that she doesn't like you. Um, but most of the time, if we have bears that come into contact with people or act aggressive towards people, they tend to be highly habituated bears. Um, that have lost their fear of humans and they've associated people with um, basically a food source or they get a reward when they're around people. Um, so those are the bears we usually have issues with. Or um, I've seen it where very, very young bears that maybe the, the sow died for whatever reason and it got left on its own at too young of an age and it's it's just hungry. I, I had a bear last year that was hanging around a campground, um, and he was a little yearling bear um, that should not have been left uh, by mom yet. But for whatever reason, he was by himself, and he was coming into camps and charging people and, and things like that. So he was starting to get a little bit aggressive. Um, but like I said, he was really young, and we ended up euthanizing that bear, and he was um, very, very skinny. He was not mm. the best condition. Okay. Well, it doesn't happen as often as people think. Most of the time, if a black bear sees you, it's going to run. Yeah. Okay. And so, what's the uh, what's a typical body weight of 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 let's just say not a record, but a decent male bear uh, a boar that you guys have harvested in your state? What do you what gets your attention without you know breaking the record books? But what what gets your body weight uh, numbers? Um, for me, what I've seen personally um, in terms of decent sized bears, um, I've seen some that hit the 300 to 350 pound range. Hmm. Um, and they do tend to be those, those boars. Although I checked a grandma bear last year, um, and she was, I estimated her at about 15, 20 years old. Um, and she was at that 350 pound range. Um, I think the majority of bears, average size bears that people are going to see, are going to um, hit that 200 to 250 pound range or smaller. Um, they are bears just don't get very big out here. Hmm. Okay, that surprises me. I was expecting uh, a lot bigger than that, but um. oh, I we had one bear last year that um, was living in someone's cornfield. Um, I'm not sure how long he lived in that cornfield, and he was absolutely massive. Um, he was, I 
think he was past the 400 pound range, maybe even closer to the 500 pound range. He was a big bear. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. But that one was, he was kind of one of our outliers because he had been eating someone's corn um, for so food, a while. Food supply so. is going to be a big part of that then, I would, I would imagine. Yeah, it's definitely it definitely is a a big factor. Um, And Colorado, I mean, sometimes we have good years, but a lot of times we have really droughty years. And and so, um, yeah, our our bears just don't get very big. Um, Our hunters, when we check bears, sometimes you know they some of the guys will come in and they'll tell me, well, it looks bigger in the scope. I'm like, yeah, they (laughs) they usually do. yeah. But yeah, we, we just don't grow very big pears in Colorado, not yeah. very often. So I hate this question, to be honest with you, but uh, I'm going to ask it because <laughs> Jim wanted it to ask, and that is in the fall, where do you typically find those bears? Um, you find them wherever the food is. They're, they're um, just going to be roaming around <laughs> and, and hanging mostly around food supply. Yeah, they really are. Um, bears in the fall time, especially that September season, um, they are trying to eat about 10,000 calories a day to bulk up for winter. So they are completely focused on food. Um, so I always tell hunters, look for, look for berry crops, you know, your service berry, choke cherry, uh, snowberry, um, you know, wax currant, things like that. Look for your oak brush for acorns, um, and that's where you're going to find bears. So doing um, your I homework on your vegetation and, and, and knowing your berries sounds like that's going to be pretty useful in yeah. finding a bear. Yeah, it's very useful to know, be able to know your plant ID um, if you're going to be bear hunting because you need to know what is what good forage looks like for those guys. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, with black bears, very little of their diet is actually protein-based. Um, they're they're very much like us um, in terms of their omnivores, and they eat a lot of plant matter and things like that in addition to um, any meat that they come across. Um, so for hunters, if hunters are going to be going out and they have an elk or a deer tag, um, I do tell hunters that if you harvest an elk or a deer and you gut that animal in the field, um, you can come back and hunt a bear over that gut pile as long as you're not trying to move the gut pile to a, a more favorable area, which I don't know anyone that's going to willingly like pick up a gut pile and carry <laughs> it anywhere, but I throw that out there. Mm-hmm. Um, so, cause, cause that can be a, a good way to get bears to come in as well as they will come in and, and clean up those gut piles. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, All right. Uh, you know, I had a, I had an encounter with a black bear in Wyoming that, uh, when we were retrieving an elk, and and uh, we had we had hung it up, skinned it, and you know, parted it out, and then came back the next morning, and there was there was a bear, but it ran off when it when we approached. So I guess we were lucky. Yeah, yeah, grizzly. black bears. Yeah, black bears are, are like I said, they're a bunch of scaredy cats. Um, I'm very glad that we do not have grizzlies in Colorado because. Um, grizzlies are kind of a different story. Um, okay. They got a little bit more attitude. So, so can I can I tease you about let's let's talk about grizzly reintroduction uh, to Colorado? <laughs> <laughs> oh. um, oh. That is currently not anything that's being discussed right now. Um, our last known grizzly, I believe, was in the 1970s, um, and it was actually it was actually killed in the San Juan Mountains. 
um, near where I'm at, yeah, based I've out heard, of. I've heard that. Yeah, yeah and um, that one was actually it was a I think it was a hunter that was out and um, claimed self defense when he shot that bear. Mm. Um, he, he said he got charged by that bear and he actually killed it with a bow. Um, so that was the last documented grizzly. Did and that was kill? that substantiated, or did he find himself in any hot water? I don't think he was ever charged with anything because we can neither prove or disprove it. Um, I've and I've seen photos of the bear, um, I believe, and, and and you can see the the angle of the um, where the arrow hit it um, is is kind of interesting, but they couldn't prove or disprove it, so mm. it was just chalked up to um, a self defense kill on that bear. Mm -hmm. um, so that was the last documented um, okay. bear. A lot of our black bears around here have that brown coloration to them. Mm -hmm. So sometimes people see kind of a larger uh, bear with that brown coloration. They think that it's a grizzly, but we've not had any documented grizzlies here in, in a while. Well, um, I was I was just joking with that, but but, it's, <laughs> but, but I appreciate the, the background on that. Was that grizzly ha have any body size to it that – would have been concerning to anybody, or was it close to black bear sized? Uh, no, that was a big bear, um, and it was very, very old. Um, based on the teeth, it basically had like no teeth left. It was just an old gummer uh, grandma bear, basically. Mm. I think it was a smile. Okay, they're starting to describe me that way these days. <laughs> so, uh, sympathy for him. Okay, so the next question is uh, grouse numbers in Colorado. Um, I love to eat the grouse, uh, you know, when and where I find them. It can even be distracting where I give up chasing elk because I'm busy trying to gather a grouse. So um, what's it looking like? Um, yeah, so grouse numbers, it's hard to calculate. We don't actively conduct surveys other than our um, harvest information program or HIP surveys. Um, so anyone that's ever bought a small game license or a fur bear license, they know about the HIP survey. Um, and that survey gives us an indication of the hunting pressure that occurred for a particular species. Um, overall, in general, if we're talking about blue grouse um, or the dusky grouse, as some people call them, um, I think those numbers are, are doing pretty good on the, the area that I cover, um, is awesome grouse country. I can usually, um, get my possession limit in the freezer by the end of grouse season. Um, and that's after I've probably eaten a couple of them to begin with. But, uh, yeah, grouse numbers, I think do really well with those blue grouse, um, you know, which is surprising for how. Uh, dumb those birds can be at mm -hmm. times. Well, they got to be pretty dumb for Carlos. <laughs> yeah. some, of them, I'll tell you. <laughs> um, some of them you almost feel bad when when you do see them because they just they just stand there. They just they won't move. I'm yeah. just like, come on now. What is the Please limit on, on grouse? If you don't mind me asking. <laughs> do you know? Sorry. The, uh, the limit. What is the limit? You mentioned the possession limit. What is the limit on the on grouse? So bag limit is three a day. Uh -huh. um, with a possession limit of nine. Nine. Okay, cool. Yeah. So so you can harvest three a day, and then you can't have any more than nine in your possession. And 
possession limit means what you have in camp, what you've got in the freezer, um, everything. Final so. destination, ice chests, whatever. Right. So you're, yeah. so you're going to have to sort through the bone pile behind my tent, right? To <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what I tell people, if you're out hunting and you harvest them, um, you know, when you get back to camp, if you're going to cook them up in camp, that's fine. If you're planning on saving them um, but still having them in camp, you do have to at least leave a wing attached so that we can tell what it is that you have. Um, that's just while you're in the field and things like that. But otherwise, if you're coming back to camp and you're going to you're gonna throw it on a skillet on the fire, um, have at it. They are delicious. They are. Excellent. Okay, well, the, Joe, you wrote down a few things that uh, that Jim threw at us at the end. And yeah. I know. yeah, these are kind of off the cuff. Uh, this is going to be new coming to you, Natalie. So um, he was wanting to use a GoPro camera while he's hunting, and he wanted to attach it to his bow and maybe catch the, the action on, uh, on film. But I know that, that Colorado has a... Uh, they've got some pretty strict rules when it comes to electronics on your bow. So would that be allowed? Yeah, so um, I do get this question every now and again, um, and there are some restrictions in terms of that. Um, so cameras, recording devices, um, they can be used as long as they do not cast light towards the target. Um, or aid with range finding, sighting, or shooting the bow. So a GoPro would be fine as long as it doesn't have, like, a light that's casting out um, or, or things like that. So they can sure. do that for recording um, their hunts and things like that. They've just got to make sure that it's not going to tell them how far away the animal is and it's not going to cast light towards it so that they can kind of extend their hunt past legal shooting hours, yeah. that sort of no, thing. No claiming that I'm trying to improve my my video quality with this light, uh, no, this, no this powerful that. spotlight just yeah. mounted to my GoPro. <laughs> this Q-beam <laughs> GoPro that I've got hooked yeah. on here. Yeah. You can't claim you're getting one of those ring lights that all the all the kids these days are using to oh, yeah. make your hunt or your video quality better. Um, that's just not going to fly very well with us. Okay. Um, but, right. yeah, if you're hitting record and have it attached to the bow, um, that's totally fine. I okay. told Jim cool. when I was talking to him about this that you guys were a bunch of Nazis. I said when it <laughs> when it comes to when it comes to these these regulations, especially on our archery equipment. So uh, I, I know yeah, you're, our you're archery, hard ass. I mean, and, and to be fair with archery, you know, we are designing archery season as a um, primitive style hunt, um, and and that seems to be what a lot of folks wanted. And so we respect that. And, yeah, we are we are pretty tough with, with a lot of our regulations as mm -hmm. it applies to our mm -hmm. Well, you keep it up. So, <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I told him I, I saw the same thing. I'm not a muzz hunter, but I saw the same thing with the scopes on the muzzle loaders. And then it gets, you know, uh, everybody starts having the ethical debate about effective range of your shot and, mm -hmm. you know. What kind of technology I'm not getting to use, or I am using, or whatever, and and uh, and I saw that too. You guys are trying to keep it primitive, and I I respect that as well. Um, yeah, yeah. What was another one, Jay? Yeah, I always tell people if you're wanting to get real high tech with archery equipment, so if you're wanting a crossbow or if you're wanting a scope on your muzzy, it's, you can use those during a rifle season. Um, 
if if you're really that set on it. Um, or there's you know a lot of other states where that is an option for them. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, yeah, but it's there's a lot of folks that want to keep those more primitive seasons as you know primitive of a hunt as possible, and yeah. that's what we try to provide. We're not going to yeah. make everyone happy, um, right. which you know that that is it is what it is. <laughs> yes, ma'am, it is. So he had he had another question about um, some concerns that he had with CWD. Um, so, do you, first of all, do, does Colorado have that big of an issue with CWD in, in their elk herds? We do. Um, certain parts of the state do have elk that have tested positive for chronic wasting disease. Um, if folks want to know if their area that they're hunting has that, the map at the back of the brochure shows what units um, they've had positive CWD come from. A lot of it's kind of towards the north half of the state, um, but quite a, quite a fair bit of our units have positive cases of CWD and elk. Um, in my area, in Unit 62, our CWD has only been detected in our deer. Do you find that if that it affects the deer more than elk, um, or, or maybe there's larger numbers of deer than than the elk? You know, I I, I think it it doesn't really care what it hits. Um, you know, CWD, chronic wasting disease, it, it affects any deer species. Um, luckily, we have not detected it in our moose yet, um, but I think. I, I'm not sure that there's been a big study to see if it hits deer more than it does elk or vice versa. Um, I just know kind of the northwest corner of the state especially, we have pretty heavy CWD um, prevalence in our elk up there. And then down in the country that I work in, um, we tend to see it more in our deer than we do our elk, and I don't know why that is. Mm, okay. Well, does Colorado recommend hunters do anything as far as testing or or maybe uh, whenever they're leaving they're leaving Colorado with elk or or deer I know some states have uh, you know certain regulations or rules set up if they're going to be bringing deer in from a area that's known to have be positive for CWD so there, there's certain rules they have to follow does Colorado have anything like that um, so Colorado, we recommend or or we have the option available if hunters wish to have their animal tested, uh, we will test it. It's about $25 fee for the hunter to have it tested. Um, we've also been, uh, every year we'll pick kind of a different part of the state and we require mandatory CWD testing. So last year for our area and kind of some of the Gunnison area, we had mandatory CWD testing for um, our deer. And this year we are requiring mandatory CWD testing for um, those folks that have limited licenses. So none of the -the over-the-counter licenses this will apply to. And this is just our way of monitoring for CWD prevalence. Um, Our the threshold where CWD will start to negatively impact populations is if you have 5% prevalence of chronic wasting disease in a population, um, that tends to be the threshold where you start to see negative impacts to your herds. Um, so we try to 
maintain prevalence below that 5% threshold. Um, so we do monitor and require it in certain areas. Um, if a hunter has a tag that where that applies to them, they'll get a letter from us in the mail. Um, but otherwise, if you just want to be extra safe, you can stop by one of our offices and we test it for you. How, how quick do you get the information back on that after you've taken your sample? So it can take about two to three weeks for that sample to come back. Um, so that's kind of the one frustrating thing about it is, is there's no quick way to, to test for CWD. We essentially have to pull um, lymph nodes from the head in order to test it um, or, or part of the brain stem. And, um, but yeah, it takes about three weeks for that test to come in. And if it comes back in positive, um, it's really up to the hunter if they want to keep that meat or dispose of it. Um, and, and they can make that decision on their own. There's never been any documented case of people getting sick from eating chronic wasting disease meat, but um, we leave that up to the hunter to dispose of the meat if they choose to. I had a, had a hunter in, uh, in Oklahoma that had harvested a nice mule deer in Wyoming. It was a CWD area. Uh, he had to stop and get a sample uh, taken from the harvested animal. Then several weeks later, he's at home. He gets a letter. Your, your mule deer was tested positive. You need to dispose of that. They contacted, I guess Wyoming contacted Oklahoma, and the agency directed me to contact the sportsman, and I collect, was supposed to collect his, his, uh, his mule deer. And... Mm -hmm. uh, so I contacted the sportsman, and he was real nice about it. And, uh, you know, I could see where some guys would say, uh, no, you can't have my mule deer. But uh, he, was, he was fine about it. I don't know what, who would have said what, you know, if the guy had been resistant to wanting to give up his, his mule deer. But I was told I was supposed to collect this mule deer. Well, I go to his house, and he, he brings me out a bag of about 25 pounds of meat and said, here, yeah. here it is. <laughs> So he was real nice about it, but he said that's all that's left. Mm -hmm. And yeah. uh, so, the, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't know what you do on that. To me, it's kind of like maybe we start writing tickets because your your COVID mask is below your nose. Um, <laughs> at, at what point do we get a little over the top with with this stuff? I know we want to have compliance and we want everybody to help on 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 trying to combat this stuff, but like you said, it's kind of up to the sportsman, I would think, don't you? Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's definitely up to sportsman discretion on whether or not they choose to eat the meat um, in, in that aspect. We are not to the point in Colorado where we will come and take things from them. Like, we, we don't take heads away from folks if they want to keep it, you know, to, to have it taxidermied or whatever. Um, but we, we just tell people, like, look, like, you know, it's, it's up to your individual comfort level um, on whether or not you want to actually eat this meat. And, um, and if you know it had CWD, let's say it was real scrawny and acting sick and you could just almost bet money that it's got CWD, there's not a regulation in Colorado about before you can leave the state with this, you have to do the X, Y, or Z. There, there's not um, anything in place. Um, like you said, there are certain states that, um, are really restrictive on what parts of the animal you can bring back. 
um, I believe New York is one of those states where um, you cannot have you cannot bring back any meat with the bone left in it. So they have to debone everything uh, before they bring it back. And I don't know what they do with the heads or what restrictions they have for the heads, but I know they cannot have anything that's got um, bone in it and things like that. So I, I know there are certain states that they're really restrictive about what you can bring back from an area that, or from another state that has chronic wasting disease. All right. Joe? I think that's it. Is that it, Natalie? So. That was painless, wasn't it? That was painless. Awesome. Well, you were, you you did great, and we appreciate you spending time with us. And uh, maybe we'll holler back at you again sometime. And I hope to be chasing maybe an elk around in in uh, some of your country uh, next month. And uh, appreciate all your help, and hope you guys stay safe. And and uh, tell uh, tell those supervisors to not be so hard on you. Well, you know, I'm still pretty low on the totem pole, so i got to wait a few years before I can really start griping at them. <laughs> but, um, yeah, no, I appreciate your time, and this is, this is good. I like getting that information out to folks. Um, um, would it be possible to add on for you guys um, just asking hunters if they see something to contact our Operation Game Thief hotline? Oh, yeah, absolutely. For sure. For sure. We always want to promote that stuff. So what is that hotline number? So the hotline number is um, one eight or it's one eight seven seven C O L O O G T. So Operation Game Thief. It's um, a anonymous hotline that we have um, where you can report poachers or suspicious activity. You know, I cover over five hundred square miles. I can't be everywhere at once. So anytime folks can kind of help be our eyes and ears out there is greatly appreciated. Um, and with OGT, if that tip turns into a citation, you can actually earn um, a reward for turning in law license violations. So um, it's a great program if people don't want their names known, um, and it really helps us out during the hunting season. So just wanted to kind of throw that out there for all our hunters coming to Colorado. Yeah, absolutely. We appreciate you uh, pushing that out there, promoting that, Natalie, and, and, and I'm a little embarrassed that we didn't think to do that ourselves um as I didn't we think of it until just now yeah. so well um, it, it's important that, that our sportsmen know and we want we want to tell them that uh and i've said this for many many years that game wardens are hunters too we're sportsmen also and yep. we're, we're we're just we're not superman we don't have poacher radar on our mounted on our dashboard uh you know, we've got to have the help. We've, we've got to have sportsmen realize that we're teammates, and if they don't uh, share with us in a timely manner information and observations, you guys can't do much because you're out there and you're trying to find these guys and catch the bad guys, but you've got to have good eyes and good ears out there helping you gather intel to, uh, to wrap somebody up that's doing nothing but trying to destroy everybody else's good times and wildlife. So... Um, I appreciate you promoting the Game Thief number. Yeah, thanks for getting it out there. You know, I mean, we can't be everywhere at once. And the last OGT report that I got that panned out, um, you know, this kid is now a convicted felon and got suspended for 15 years. And, and it was all just because someone thought to pick up the phone and, and give me a license plate. 
Um, so it was it was really great, and it's a great resource for us. What what did he do, incidentally, that he got mm-hmm. convicted? Uh, so he had shot a a really nice mule deer buck um, out of season and cut the antlers off. Mm. And we went served a warrant on him, and he ended up admitting to, uh, gosh, probably five or six other deer um, and a bear that he had illegally taken. So we ended up getting him for for some pretty heavy charges, yeah. um, and and he can no longer hunt in Colorado or any of the other compact states for. Um, at the time, it was 15-year suspension. Wow. So wow. your search warrant obviously turned up other other pieces of clues of other misdeeds that this it, character had pulled it, off. Yeah, it did. When we when we um, served that search warrant at the house, we were finding um, a lot of skull-capped antlers throughout the house um, and the bare skull of the house. And based off of his license history and, and just... Um, building that rapport with him and talking with him during the interview, he admitted to quite a bit. Mm-hmm. It's amazing how just that one little piece of information that you got, you know, it may seem insignificant. It's just a tag number of a, you know, possible clue. You know, by the time you start peeling the layers of the onion back, you end up with a with a great case. Yeah, I mean this this guy, the our reporting party, he was a great kid. Um, he was out, you know, looking at deer. He was we were getting close to uh, when antlers were going to be dropping, and he really enjoyed shed hunting. Um, so he was, I think, out and about just looking at some of the deer near where he lived. And, yeah, he, the the vehicle he saw was a little suspicious, so he thought they were acting weird and sent us a license plate. And that was, that was all we needed. Awesome. Cool. Appreciate their help. Everybody's got to chip in a little on that. Yep. Well, good work. Natalie, and I appreciate you, and and maybe maybe I'll holler at you, but not be a pest whenever I'm up in your country, and and uh, you guys stay <laughs> safe, and and say hi to Travis for me. <clears throat> All right, will do. You guys take care as well. Thank you. Appreciate you. Thank you, Natalie. Bye bye. Okay. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Game Warden Connection podcast. You know, we set out to make this podcast a resource to help anyone wanting to get more out of the outdoors. And it doesn't matter if you're a fisherman or if you're a hunter or just an explorer, we're here for you. If you have any questions, comments, please reach out to us at GameWardenConnection.com and we'll do all we can to help make a connection with you and help you find the answers and the insights that you're looking for. You can also connect with us on Facebook. And lastly, if you've enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a five-star review so we can continue to grow and improve. Until next time, enjoy the great outdoors.